This is Defenders TV Podcast, Episode 77, where we are looking at Luke Cage, Season 1, Episode 3. Who's going to take the weight? You think I'm holding back? Welcome back, Defenders, to this explosive episode of Defenders TV Podcast, episode 77, where we are looking at who's going to take the weight, the third episode of this season of Luke Cage. I am one of your hosts, John. I'm your second host, Chris. And I'm your final host, Derek. Welcome back. Yeah, Hello. welcome back. Okay, <laughs> that yeah. happened. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> um, like, <laughs> I could not believe it. What? Poor Connie. What an episode. Yeah. What an episode. Well, obviously, we are going to spoil everything about episode three. We are watching um, watching episode by episode and recording our podcast directly afterwards. So uh, there is going to be full spoilers for episode three. Get out of here if you haven't seen it. Uh, go watch it. Come back to us. But yeah, wow. Yeah, that was um, a fairly huge thing to happen um, for episode three. I mean, I suppose we'll get into it a bit Definitely. more um, in the discussion. Yeah, it was... Maybe slightly unexpected, I'd say, um, yeah. given uh, the the previous sort of 50 minutes of the episode. Definitely. But before we get into our episode, the one thing I do want to say, we didn't get the chance in our first two episodes to have a big shout out and a big thank you for our new theme tune. Our brand new theme tune for Luke Cage uh, has been provided again by Mississippi McDonald and the Cottonmouth Kings, which I think is absolutely brilliant. They've provided all three uh, of our theme tunes for our Defenders podcasts and our theme tune for uh, Gotham as well. Uh, I love the fact that his band is called the Cottonmouth Kings and has been for over two years, yeah, yeah, well absolutely. before this show started. <laughs> and I only made the connection after receiving our theme tune for this uh, for this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, thanks so much to Oliver, um, who is the Mississippi McDonald, the lead singer for for the band. Really appreciate the the work that's gone into doing our opening th- and closing theme. It's really uh, sweet of you, and uh, yeah, a big shout out. And if anyone uh, wants to check out Mississippi McDonald and the Cottonmouth Kings, their album is or has been, I think it still is, number one in the UK blues chart. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's can, very good. Too. It's really good. You can go over to www.mississippimcdonald.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. Uh, so the big problem with Mississippi McDonald, search it up on the internet. It'll tell you how to spell it. But it's M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I-M-A-C-D-O-N-A-L-D.com, right? So you have to remember how to spell Mississippi. That's the one big challenge being a fan of Mississippi McDonald because I always miss out one of the S's or one of the P's. So... Yeah, I think that's right. You can go follow him on uh, Twitter as well. Mm-hmm. If if you're into blues or uh, you know, then please uh, check out Mississippi McDonald. Definitely, that's right. I'm more impressed that Derek just actually spelt Mississippi McDonald. See, I can't even say Mississippi McDonald. <laughs> I'm just like that was one take. People, come on, give a round of applause. That was pretty impressive. Huh? Or I'll make it sound like one take in the edit. Yes, uh, but I think that's that's enough of the praise for Mississippi. Absolutely love the tune, though. Hopefully, you guys are enjoying that as well. Uh, I think it gives a little bit of a fresher feel for uh, for our coverage of Luke Cage. Absolutely. And of course, um, we've told you where you can find Mississippi McDonald uh, for ourselves. Please go to DefendersTVPodcast.com 
forward slash iTunes or search Defenders TV podcast in any good podcast catcher that you use to, to listen to podcasts. And of course, our lovely dulcet tones will come pouring through the earphones. And um, you can also join our community and the discussion in our groups over on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcasts. And of course, to round out it all, uh, we're also on Twitter at DefendersCast and feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. For any comments, thoughts about any of the episodes, please send them in and we'll feature them in the feedback section of our podcasts. Yeah, we're starting to get some feedback in there. It's uh, good as people are watching the episodes. Pretty, pretty good reaction from the press and pretty good reaction from reviewers to uh, to Luke Cage so far as the uh, first weekend of the show continues. Uh, and just so you're aware of it, we'll be releasing our episodes every Tuesday and Friday until we've gone through all 13 episodes of, uh, of Luke Cage. Still trying to work out exactly the timing on it because we know uh dr strange comes out on the 25th of october which we're trying to work out whether that's after the 13 episodes or <sighs> there might be a gap of one week there might be a week that will that will do our dr strange coverage uh but just trying to work it out anyway come back every tuesday and friday you'll find a new episode up there on defenders tv podcast.com and just a bit of breaking news um there was the release of a little iron fist nugget uh, mm. uh dropped by netflix um and a dragon nugget, in fact, of uh, a dragon forming from an incense bowl uh, and a quick flash to um, the Iron Fist using, uh, well, his fist, mm-hmm. which was pretty cool. And there are a lot of bodies on the floor, I hasten to add, which may also have been, um, have received the fist as well yes. from, from uh, Danny Rand. And more importantly, it is dropping March 17th, which is St. Patrick's Day. And of course, we will potentially be doing a lovely drunken episode. (laughs) We could live tweet it drunken. It'd be amazing. Very possible. Very possible. But I want to give total credit to Rebecca Berdour, who commented the fact, obviously, we will have Oh Danny Boy on uh, on Patrick's Day next year. So uh, good one, Rebecca. I was laughing about that one for a while. Yeah, very excited to uh, to see Danny Rand. The second half of the Heroes for Hire coming in uh, in March 2017. The thing is that, uh, that <laughs> uh, and another thing that will be our podcast uh, on March 17th. Or we just start drinking at 8 a.m. 8:01 when it drops, and then every subsequent hour and recording that day just becomes illegible, <laughs> but, <laughs> inaudible, I should say. There are those podcasts that are out there that um, are. Done drunk. Oh, absolutely. There's the Drunken Movies podcast that I know very well. There's, uh, there's <laughs> Drunk, Drunken History is a huge popular TV oh, show, yeah. so maybe it's an option for us. Okay. Um, but just a reminder, that is the same day that uh, Daredevil Season 2 dropped this year, uh, dropped on March 17th, and we didn't do a drunken podcast for that one, no. so you never know. You never know. We may not. Yeah, but it's Danny Boy now. We have to. I wonder, will he also have a fight in an Irish bar? Oh, one question. Why, as the caption... When they release it, did they use Breathe Deep, hashtag Iron Fist? Yeah, I presume Breathe Deep, it is maybe it's to do with the dragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or the incense or you know something like that. Or just, you know, that whole element of like yoga and meditation where you're, bre- you know, you're controlling your breathing, mm-hmm. that type of thing. All good. But are you guys excited about Danny Rand coming uh, on March 17th next year? I yep. am. 
Big time. Back to some segue that we don't have in the recording for episode three. Yeah, with Luke Cage and with Doctor Strange, we've got the Defenders um, all sorted. Mm-hmm. Defendtober? Is that is that a thing? No. <laughs> Just no. It could be. It could be. Oh, God. It's going to happen, people. Defendtober. Absolutely. There you go. Oh, start the hashtag now. <laughs> Moving into Defember. It gets too much of a tongue twi- twister uh-huh. after a while. It does. It does. I think it's about time to get into this episode of Luke Cage. Episode three, Who's Gonna Take the Weight? Uh, this episode was written by Matt Owens. Interestingly, Matt Owens is a staff writer and was a story editor over on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but this seems to be his first big story credit and got a, got a full episode of a Netflix TV show as his first story credit. I think that's quite cool. Um, looks like they're already getting some new talent on board for, for Luke Cage. A pretty good episode overall, I think, as well. Has he left in the shield, or was he just kind of... He was a story editor, which means that he, d- he works in the writer- writer's room, but doesn't get credits for the overall uh, okay. overarching episodes. So it looks like he's moved over and done some uh, done some work with, with Luke Cage. And he was called a staff writer in the final credits as well. So um, so it looks like he got the job title of staff, t- staff writer and has been given the story credit for this episode. Oh, so okay. that's quite cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So he obviously had some... Big contribution to this episode if he wasn't the sole writer for it. It's the ending, uh, basically. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. Uh, but even bigger, the director of this episode is Guillermo Navarro. Uh, Guillermo Navarro used to work very, very closely with the wonderful Guillermo del Toro. Uh, he worked as the cinematographer on all the way from Kronos, one of uh, Guillermo del Toro's first films, right up to Pan's Labyrinth. He worked in about seven or eight films with him. Wow. Uh, this is his first big directorial job working on Luke Cage. So he's moved over into the world of uh, of Marvel now, which is quite cool. Very Bring cool. some of the to Pan's Labyrinth. That's going to... Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would be very odd. Yeah, yeah. Maybe if Doctor Strange walked in, yeah. we might see a bit of the Pan's Astral Labyrinth side. <laughs> But there you go. Those are, the, uh, those are the details of the people involved in the show. John, do you want to tell us the synopsis for Who's Going to Take the Weight? Sure. In the aftermath of the shootout at Pop's Barbershop, at the hands of Cottonmouth's associate Tone, Pop is dead and Chico is seriously injured in hospital. As Luke tries to come to terms with the events, he is determined, with the help of Bobby Fish, to keep Pop's Barbershop open for the sake of Harlem and its community. He heeds the wise words of Pop and his call to action, forward always. Set on a new path, Luke Cage begins to target Cornell Stokes' crimes, operations and safe houses to hit him where it hurts in his pocket. This culminates in an audacious raid on the bank at the Christmas Attics building. Luke's work in Harlem does not go unnoticed, as Detective Knight becomes increasingly suspicious of Cage's involvement in the attacks against Cottonmouth and the events at the barbershop. However, Cottonmouth is one step ahead of the cops, as his inside man in the NYPD reveals, after killing Chico, that Luke Cage is the man behind the attacks. With this new information, Cottonmouth looks to settle the score and launches an unexpected attack on Luke Cage at Genghis Connie's with explosive ramifications. I like that. Launches an unexpected attack on Luke Cage at Genghis Connie's with explosive ramifications. Nice job, John. Nice job. Very <laughs> impressed. Uh, I think we've already given the kind of our overview of what we thought of the episode. So just to let new listeners know the way we cover our episodes as we go through our top five points about the episode. Some good, some possibly bad, uh, some in between. Uh, and then we decide whether we defend the episode or not. Before we get into it, I just have one thing. The Mysterious Soul Man. 
um, singing in Harlem Paradise is mm-hmm. a, a, a fantastic guy called uh, Charles Bradley. That's right. And the song in which is now my obsession and probably yours and listeners too is called Ain't It A Sin. So good. I, like seriously, where has this guy been on my life? I was like, very cool. Oh, oh. It was j- j- and I've listened now. I've gone off to Spotify. I've gone to Google Play Music and I've checked them. Like there's great music. It continues to be as good as that. Excellent. But this is like, mm-hmm. yeah, I was just like, I wasn't expecting to find a level of caliber there mm-hmm. in terms of going okay yeah no i'm gonna take that, that that's going in my pocket <laughs> it's so good and and the tune itself is really it, it's a really expressive tune for the episode it's uh it does talk about the fact that um you're trying to live your life well trying to live your life on the right side uh going by the lord's direction but there are times that you need to break out and is it a sin is is this a sin effectively is what i'm doing uh going to be seen badly by the lord taking out your frustrations on other people kind of thing. So it works really well in this particular episode. Yeah, no, it's just a fantastic, fantastic piece of music. Sorry, Derek, I I interrupted you there, but now now I've got that out of my system. All good. That was a good scene. You want to kick off? (laughs) All good. My first point, as it has been for the last two weeks, is about the title for the episode, Who's Gonna Take the Weight, is also a song by Gangstar, as all 13 episodes have been named after songs by Gangstar. Uh, The song, Who's Gonna Take the Weight, is really... Very simply, it is about people banding together to take on a power against uh, against them, or working together to take on a power that's against them. So, uh, very simply, that is that is why this song was chosen for the episode. It's exactly what Luke's doing. He's working with Chico, who's trying to get the cops involved to finally take down uh, Cottonmouth. So, uh, so that's very much why the song is chosen. A very simple one again this episode. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it ties really nicely into the the whole thing of um, Pop and his saying, you know, forward always. It's that it's that moment where Luke realizes he has to step up and take the weight of what Pop used to do, mm-hmm. which is to be a kind of a, a a neutral ground or a binding influence um in Harlem for the community. So um you know it, it works equally well and it is really poignant for the fact that you know Pop was was taken out. Um so yeah really nice choice uh of tune I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so they've lost that support structure really for them for them in Harlem, which I think is quite cool that, that Luke's going to take this on as we go yeah. forward switzerland uh, has been overrun it right. is no more that's right yeah yeah but i like also the fact that you know uh bobby fish and um and luke cage like really are trying to keep it going they, they mm-hmm. want to make sure that the bank or another uh buyer doesn't get their hands on, on the barbershop yeah absolutely despite whether anybody can actually cut hair or not um <laughs> uh, Chris, do you want to give us your first point? Well, my first point, I'm going to do a John on it. I have two points <laughs> as part of my first point, okay? Right. What's so, a John? I, I Other than know. a toilet. Uh, well. <laughs> a John is, is when we ask for one point and we get six. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's always fun one, especially when it's the first. Um, but, okay, I'm going to start backwards and then move in. Okay. So, what I want to talk about is the Holly scene. Uh-huh. Which I, is probably points for all of us. Of course you wanted to choose that as your first point. Though. I do, could too. <laughs> but my first point is... The bullet riddled hoodie. Mm-hmm. That shot where he's in the room and he's literally, it's, it's just bullet riddled to hell. Yeah. That's so poignant. It's really good. Isn't and it? it was just framed perfectly. Mm-hmm. And I, I get the feeling that that was done very much on purpose. Right. Uh, and now some of our American listeners will probably know more, but I, I get the feeling that that was, I, I've seen that shot before. Right. So I do believe it's something from an actual real life 
um, incident that may have happened right. um, in the last year or so uh, wearing a similar hoodie because it was pulled up and tightened around. Yeah. Um, and I just felt it was a very poignant scene and I feel very deliberate. Mm-hmm. That just shot. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm certain there is, there's definitely, you can read in uh, a lot about the shootings that have happened in the US over the last year. Um, you could definitely read in that that's what these scenes are about, that he's being gunned down, uh, or people are being gunned down, uh, quite a lot, uh, in this episode. Um, and I think that's, that's definitely a commentary about what's going on in America, regardless of what they say. <laughs> it is definitely some kind of commentary about, uh, about what's going on in America. But yeah, beautifully shot scene, uh, beautifully shot moment. Yeah. Continuing on. So the song that they use in this in this scene mm-hmm. is Wu Tang Clan's "Bring the Ruckus." Yes, it is. Uh, I believe it's from the, the their debut album, "Enter the Wu Tang." Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm always open. This is not my not my area of expertise. Right. If it was a fictional rap group in the Marvel universe, I probably would know it better. <laughs> um, and it's a great choice. But I had one problem with this, and because it actually caught me off guard straight away, is that. It's a sanitized version of the song. Right. In which they take the F word out of it, mm-hmm. which I find really weird because throughout the, 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 they, they used, we discussed already the gritty realism that they've mm-hmm. already kind of, they, the, the actors have spoken worse, in my opinion, words than the F word. Right. But then the song itself had to be sanitized. And I just don't understand it. It is interesting. And I wonder, there's a, there's a great little touch in this show. And we talked about it before. We actually do still have our swear jar in play. A great little touch in this show from the first episode. And one of the first things you hear is in the barbershop, working near pop. Nobody curses. If you curse, you pay the money, basically. And they've had that going on all the way through. We had it in the barbershop in the second episode. You see the swear jar getting shot yeah. at. In this episode, you see, you see Luke Cage sitting in his house, staring at the swear jar in his hand. And now you have the Wu-Tang Clan moment and it's without the swears in the song. And I love this idea ah. that they're keeping this concept of we don't swear on Marvel shows on Netflix, but we have a reason why because Luke doesn't agree with swearing either. So remember, he puts the headphones in, in his ears for yeah. the Wu-Tang Clan song and he's listening to a sanitized version of the Wu-Tang. Still has the same power to the song but doesn't have the cursing in it just thought about it I just think that's oh, a really that's interesting actually, touch, yeah okay okay because then it's the song that Luke is listening to is sanitized because he doesn't like swearing but that allows the other characters who have to date been the ones swearing to swear isn't that an interesting uh, idea okay I didn't think about it I was really annoyed by this yeah like the, the guys can attest to you I came in and this we were chatting after watching it this is what I talked about. It was, it, it, this annoyed the hell out of me because I was like, but it makes no sense. Like, they've used worse words and they was, but now actually. Isn't that an interesting idea though? It is interesting. Now I have to say I had a very similar experience this week. I was listening to Deezer. I was listening to just some, just my, my flow on Deezer and weirdly, uh, NWA straight out of Compton popped up in the middle of my flow, probably because I've been listening to a lot of music for Luke Cage and a lot of the Luke Cage playlists, but it was the sanitized version of straight out of Compton. And I had your reaction, which is going, why would you have Straight Outta Compton with no curse words in it? It sounds like the weirdest <laughs> song. The whole point of it is we're from the street. We talk like the street. We have this language. This is how we speak. And they cut all the curse words out of it. It's so weird. So, yeah, I had yeah. that reaction. But I like that this touch of the the swear jar and not swearing has yeah. been carried well, on through that. Call me old school, but this is why you shouldn't do Deezer. You shouldn't do Spotify. You should own your own version. Absolutely. I was going to send in a complaint, to be honest. <laughs> it's not. How dare it's you not. sanitize my music? Sanitize your music. Yeah. Choose what music it is that you can access. 
I think on that democratic note, um, my uh, point also links in with this. It's the it's the flying sofa. It's the corridor fight. It's that um, you know this is Luke Cage's um, Daredevil moment along the corridor mm-hmm. uh, to some extent, or you can read it like that. Um, and I just thought it was really good. You know, we've got car doors, we've got um, masonry, we've got pipe work, we've got the sofa. Um, you know, there's, uh, cell doors all being used against, um, against, uh, Cottonmouth's cronies. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's chucking people into the ceiling, into the walls. Uh, people are running. It's just quality. I yeah. really liked it. I loved how he folds the door around one of the guys and then he uses the sofa, like, just spins it around, knocking them all over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, you, you know, you see it at the start where this sofa just comes flying out of the window, um, and you see it again. Really, really good stuff. And I mean, yeah. I, I like the, the idea. Yeah. This, this guy is being riddled with bullets and, mm-hmm. and is still there, still standing, still going about his business. And yeah, you could see that as, as I've said already, that metaphor. Um, for it doesn't matter how many bullets you throw, we will still be there Absolutely. and we will be still coming at you uh, to get justice uh, and to do the right thing. So, like, really cool. Um, and, and, I mean, whether that it was written for that reason, who knows, but you can certainly have that um, sort of thought uh, given the events going on. So Absolutely. I, I, I thought this was a great corridor fight, um, I suppose, with current events quite a nice little political kind of uh, nod to what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, this is, to me, is Luke Cage's sort of daredevil uh, corridor fight, yeah. and I, I loved it. Yeah, there was also a point for me, there's two specific things that stood out as being very Luke Cage about it, uh, and and great things, a great way of doing it in the show. Firstly, I love that we see it from the outside of the building as our cold open for the episode. We mm. see the guns going off, uh, lots of flashes, the uh, the sofa comes out the window and then it goes into the uh, goes into him walking uh, out of the building. Exactly, him walking out of the building with the money, you know. So you know what's going to happen. You're, you've seen it in the trailers, you know. But I love that you see it from the outside first and then it goes inside and takes you step by step through the whole thing. The second thing that makes this Luke Cage rather than uh, Matt Murdock, the big difference between the two is Matt's going to save a kid. Uh, when he's doing his corridor scene and he's going off to left, right, left and right, taking out five or ten guys, that's about it. Luke walks into a room, stands there, waits for a, a, a ton of guys yeah. to come in, that stares them all down and goes, just bring it, you know? Yeah. He is there to kick the hell out of every single one of them in there so that he can get at the money and open the gates so the police can can capture all the money, you know? He's doing it for a very different reason, and he also wants to actually beat the hell out of the guys that kills Pops. You know? Well, absolutely, and it's it's the money minus one bag, obviously, exactly. to help uh, secure the barbershop. Mm-hmm. Like, the, there's that moment where one of the guys jumps on his back and he just does the shoulder flick back, and the guy just pops off yeah. into the wall. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, and, like, you know, Luke Cage is much more... Um, Thuggish isn't right, the right brutal. word. Brutal, yeah. yeah. It's kind of, it is much more fists and punch. Absolutely. Uh, and as you say, standoff, uh, compared to, to Daredevil. But I, I like that. I mean, this is a guy that uses his environment. I mean, I love where he just 
chucks his hand into the plasterboard mm-hmm. and rips out one of the pipes and starts smacking it around uh, the the body and heads of of all the attackers coming yeah. at him. So, yeah. um, you know, this guy is a good boy scout. He uh, he uses his environment for. <laughs> To help him. Absolutely. Always be prepared. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I like that we got to see what you were looking for, Chris, as well. We, this is the third episode now, and we see a full force kick yes. to a guy who flies almost the entire length of the corridor yeah. into the lift. I thought that was quite cool to finally get to see a bit of that as well. I, what I loved about this is that, okay, it's an obvious call out that this is Luke Cage hallway scene. Mm-hmm. But it's not trying to be Daredevil's hallway scene. No, and that it wasn't a single tracking shot. I think if they had done the tracking shot, we all would have gone, eh, it doesn't really, I don't think it would have worked. Mm. I think this is just much, this is more about showing, as I said, the word brutal, Luke's brutal style. Absolutely. Which is like, yeah, as you use the environment, will not kill, but he's going to knock you unconscious and break some of your teeth and mm-hmm. bones. The, the, the bit that I got, I was listening into it really loud last night. Um, and the, when we're, they, they get into that sofa scene part mm-hmm. and he drops the sofa or before he throws the sofa, you can hear people's bones breaking. Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. very audible. Yeah. Like he's it's snapping, not just, he's yeah. snapping arms left, right and center there. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, oh, but then the guy with the machete. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if you guys noticed, it looks like the machete breaks. Oh, really? Snaps. No, I didn't see that. Yeah. yeah that's cool. I was like, that's a nice touch. Yeah. But I think the the bit I loved is, okay, we knew we were going to get something like this. Mm-hmm. Something like the hallway scene. It's It's been now a a staple for Marvel and Netflix. We have Daredevil 1, Daredevil 2. Was there one in Jessica Jones? It's Jessica's fight against Luke. Yes. There you go. Yep. Jessica's fight against Luke. So it was every season so far or, or series has had one of these. Mm-hmm. I think if they had have done it, Daredevil, it wouldn't have worked. I think this worked in that he had the smirk on when he reaches through the bars and the guys, there was very slow motion part where the guy had like a very heavy assault rifle. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he was firing from between the bars. Yeah. And you could see they obviously slowed it down quite a, a fair amount. Yeah. But the bit I still don't know, and I would love to know how they do it, is how they were burning and singeing Luke's uh, hoodie. While he was walking yeah. and slowed down, and it doesn't, you know, the way they would have splatter effects for blood and mm-hmm. stuff like that. That I understand it works. That squibs, it's a small bit of explosive underneath uh, a fake bit of skin, yeah. and it, there's blood packs. But how they were burning slight. Mm. Now I'm wondering if they're they're pretty much the same thing. They just don't attach the butt back, um, and it has a little bit more, uh, a little bit more explosives uh, in them. Oh, okay. Um, interestingly, I heard Mark Coulter talk about it and say how painful these things are on him wow. because they are quite explosive. They are a form of explosives. Very small, yeah. obviously. It's not they're not trying to blow off his arm or anything. But he has said that he has to not react to them because yeah. his character wouldn't react um, if he's getting shot hundreds of times. He can't react to them. But for him, it's like a little pinch every single time. Um, oh. you know, just a little pinch. But if you're getting you know, 20 or 30 pinches across your well, body, yeah. I'd squeal like a girl. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I do have another another point that's connected to this. So I'm just going to drop it in here. It's about just Misty's investigation into and finding out that, uh, that Luke is the guy, uh, realizing that Luke is the guy. Um, I love that she has, t- she puts a nail on it and says, we are still dealing with a comic book superhero here. Yeah. So we've just seen him go in, beat the hell out of, hundreds of guys but she calls out the fact that 
Not only did he not steal all of the money, he takes he ta- he walks away with one bag. Why would you do that? Well, he's not a villain, so he's not there to steal the money, and he also doesn't kill anybody in the room. So again, comic book superhero, he doesn't kill anybody. So I like that she puts that little that little fine point on it here. While he is a guy that's really tough, really brutal, and kicks hell out of everybody around him, he is still a comic book hero. He's still somebody you can get behind. He's not doing anything bad here. Um, he is. He's not doing anything too bad here. Yeah, I was like, he is, eh. he's, leaving, he's leaving villains, sending them off to to prison. It's something that you would you, that you would see in every single comic book, from Spider Man to Superman to yeah. Batman to any of the other comic book heroes. This is what they do. Well, I mean, like, I love the suspicion that she has here because you know she has her phase out where she's mm-hmm. kind of in her own kind of detective world, and, and she's kind of seeing Luke Cage as the person, um, you know, at Pops his barbershop, doing the cottonmouth stuff, um, and attacking his safe houses. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I I love the fact that in this um, this episode, and and to be honest, at this moment within the season, that for everyone else, for the audience, he is the hero. She's the one that's still questioning his motives or or whether it's him. But yeah. it's still a suspicion. She's not confirmed in her own mind that it is. But she is. Definitely the saying, I have to like follow him or get the evidence. Like yeah. she's, she's certain it's him, but like it's still a big suspicion. And I, you know, she brings it back to the, the fact that she calls out he's a vigilante and that this brings chaos. And I love that kind of conversation between her and Raphael Scarf mm-hmm. where, you know, she's going, um, no, he has no training. He has no right to meet out any of this justice. That's, that's for us. And I love that Raphael is kind of like going, yeah, but I hate paperwork. Um, we have to deal with lawyers. Um, I'm quite happy to sit back and effectively let this guy do our job. And she kind of takes a bit of umbrage at that, that, well, this is our job. That's the point, you know, and it is this, um, vigilanteism versus the law enforcement, yeah. like we've had in Daredevil as well. Um, I, but I, I love how, um, Misty Knight says to Raphael, you know, you are a credit to the badge scarf, aren't Absolutely. you? And I think, um, I'm just going to take my next point here, uh, which is, you know, the pig on the payroll, um, and, uh, scarf being, uh, in the pocket of Cottonmouth. Mm-hmm. Now I have to say, um, and I'm absolutely genuine here through this episode, I was thinking scarf felt slightly detached from Misty Knight. And then when, there was the car parked in the dodgiest spot ever. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, something's going down here. Uh, And for me, it was like, is it that Scarf... I didn't know that Scarf was going to kill Chico, but it was definitely... Has Scarf brought him to that location so that he can be taken out and handed over? Or we see him obviously then taking his tie off and all that and then strangling him. Um, And I have to say... I. Before it happened, I just went, this location is way too dodgy Mm -hmm. um, for Scarf to be uh, genuine here. And I must say, it's a great little twist for that character because um, I think in in the comics, he is actually just an out-and-out detective and good guy. I'm not aware of whether he has this kind of duplicitous kind of role. Mm. Now, if, if someone else knows, that would be really useful. He's not, he's to... not hugely well-developed in the comic books. He's been... He, he's had guest appearances over the years. You've seen him... But he's generally issues. a good guy. He's a supportive guy. He's, he's not... A a th- yeah. yeah. Well, that's he, what I mean. He's never had a huge, big storyline. 
at all, really. He's just been a New York police yeah. officer. Uh, but but, but, but not yeah. sort of, yeah. So it's yeah. a real good development for the character Absolutely. then, if that's the case, definitely. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, yeah, I, I love this pig on the payroll. I mean, uh-huh. it is very similar to um Fisk with his you know his tentacles throughout mm-hmm. um the New York and you know in law enforcement the DA's office and all that and again we're seeing that Harlem is no different to the still uh, this corruption that flows through through the area just as much as anywhere else yeah. in, in in this world in the MTU, I suppose. And mm-hmm. um, you know, so really loved uh, seeing Scarf have his little twist and like him walking into Cottonmouth Club like absolutely cocksure. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. Really, great just good. We like love Frank um, Wally in that scene. Just yeah, absolutely great. So good. Yeah, so so much confidence walking into uh, into the bar, taking the the probably the most expensive bottle of alcohol off the top shelf, pouring himself a drink, sitting down and going, "I am your man right here. I have got everything you wanted on a plate here. I know who's been striking you. I've also taken out Chico. I'm 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 number one guy here." What's he says to him? Um, I'll give you. I'll give up the guy that's been doing everything for you if you play nice with me. You know, he's now in control with Cottonmouth, or he feels he is. For the moment. Yeah, yeah, for the moment. I mean, given that Cottonmouth had a baseball bat in his hand because he mm-hmm. was going absolutely ape sh- Like, I did. I just wondered whether he was going to get hit for a home run or something at mm-hmm. one stage with oh, uh, yeah. Cottonmouth. Yeah, there's some really great lines uh, in this episode, I think, in, in general. But one of them as well is after getting the news from, from Scarf that uh, he goes, I'm going to holler at the dishwasher personally and enjoy mm-hmm. it. You know, does his trademark laugh as he walks off with the baseball bat swinging. Um, of course... At this moment, I actually thought he was going to hit a, an actual dishwasher uh, within the kitchens and not necessarily that he was referring to Luke Cage um, like he referred to him as the dishwasher in in the um, the funeral home, in the mm-hmm. mortuary. A great, great line. Yeah. I, I think he has uh, another good one as well. Nothing humbles a man like gravity oh, um, great in relation to what he does to tone. Like, really good. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, no. absolutely. I, I love Great this. scene. I love this. And I, I suppose, again, it's probably the fact that Cottonmouth has underestimated Luke Cage. Of all the people, like, Luke Cage is still a six foot two, six foot three, huge guy. Uh, I think Cottonmouth underestimates him because he's given him a job as the dishwasher in his club. And that's the reference there. He's kind of gone, not that guy. He's been in my club. He's been here on the, on the attack. He's been challenging me all the time. Uh, in the in the mortuary, yeah. he challenges him, and I've been saying this guy will be nothing. I'll I'll take it all out in him, and he's the guy that's behind all this. <laughs> I am gonna have a talk with that guy with my baseball bat. Well, know? yeah, but how tall is um, Cottonmouth? Uh-huh. I mean, because up against Domingo Colon, it was just the- like yeah. that was so funny. All it right. was like little and large. All right, but Chris, do you want to give us a point? Yeah, no, no, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. John John paid me back there for like me having two parts in my part one yep. point. That's why we call it doing a job. job, Yeah, Uh, no, but I actually agree nearly with every point that he brought out there. Um, uh, Scarf. So, so Chris, what's your final point? (laughs) Actually, strangely, so the scarf. I this is actually the downside to this episode for me, and I I I understand. I I didn't see it the detachment part. I didn't get that the part you were talking about in terms of the the distance between himself and Misty. It's just when he got the phone call and he stepped away and I was like, 
oh, okay. But it was like his wife or something, I was expecting. And then mm. it turns out it was uh, Chico. I was like, oh, okay. That's a bit weird, but okay. Didn't think about it. And then, yeah, as soon as I saw the shot of the car, I was like, oh, they're both going to get, they're both going to get like a drive-by shooting. Right. That's right. what I thought. Yeah. Like having, then he started taking off the tie and I'm like, oh no, don't go down this route. Really? I just, and then when they made him uh, a, a, the, a pig on the payroll, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it, it's been used so much. Is it a trope? Yes, it is a trope. I didn't want to use that word, but I use the trope because it's a trope. <laughs> it was so overused. It's like, there's always some cop who's dirty. Mm-hmm. And I was just hoping they wouldn't, but I understand from a story perspective. Yeah. It was only when I was like, okay, now this does set things up in terms of, we now know then the potentially that he'll probably frame Misty for something and that's how she gets kicked off the force etc yeah. and how she ends up with Luke and the Defenders yeah one of the comments from one of our listeners Rebecca Bodura was that actually we've hardly ever seen Misty Knight in the comic books on the force you were introduced to her in the comic books as former police officer Misty Knight who was on the NYPD and mm-hmm. um, there are flashbacks in the comic books to her being on the force but there wasn't like comic after comic there wasn't you know a year of Misty on the force and then she becomes Misty Knight uh superhero or hero of a hero for hire uh, it wasn't like that in the comic book so so you're probably right there is there is definitely going to be a reason why she's not going to be on the force but she seems so behind it in the conversation yeah. with scarf uh, she seems so behind the concept of being a police officer in new york especially when there's superheroes flying around you know um very specific reference in here to the incident that happens scarf talking about uh, the avengers he was there on the ground at the time when the Avengers uh, were in the city, and that's what made him realize that being a cop ain't nothing anymore. Yeah. You know, uh, all you do is paperwork. But he's happy enough to do the paperwork rather than take a bullet in his ass, as he says, <laughs> which yeah. I liked. Or they'd uh, rather have a magical hammer than a gun. That's very yeah. true. Yeah, I think a very specific reference to the Avengers, much more so than we've seen. I think in the other shows. Yeah. the other shows. Am I right? Yeah, we got like Daredevil um, season one mm-hmm. was the, probably the biggest call out. Yeah, we had two of them in terms of the incidents, and then yeah. we had the guy in the metal suit and the green, the big green. Gu- yeah. But it was, but it's not, I suppose the, the big integral piece in there was about, uh, the fact that Hell's Kitchen had been destroyed and that's yeah. why Wilson Fisk was trying to rebuild it back up. That's where he got all his money from was the rebuild of Hell's Kitchen after the incident. In here, it's much more, uh, much more affecting to the common man is how it's being called yes. out. It's, it's, I was a cop. I was a great cop. And then these guys came along who can kick hell out of aliens coming to attack the planet. Well, what the heck am I here for yeah. then? You know, a great little moment between the two of them. So the disconnection that, that you were talking about, John, that you were seeing between Misty and, and, uh, Raphael Scarf, when you're saying disconnected, I was kind of going, well, that's justified. He's sitting there going, well, there's heroes that can take care of all this stuff. What am I here for anymore? So I could see, I, I wasn't expecting him to turn. I wasn't expecting that he was on a payroll of somebody else. I was just thinking, well, he's completely disconnected from his job because he can see he's battling an uphill battle every day of his life. Yeah, but you know? it, no, it was more than that for me. I, I didn't mean that he was had a different view on um, superheroes and vigilantes. No, it was it was more in the hospital scene where uh, Misty and I and and him are questioning Chico for mm-hmm. the first time. And I mean, she kind of leaves after kind of pressing in on his wounds, awesome. just like being, yeah. you know, that that was pretty awesome, um, brutal. Um, but he lingers back as mm-hmm. she's gone, um, and you kind of go, "Why? 
would that happen? And he he kind of gives that prep talk and all this and then flicks him his cards. So that's why he gets the call. Yeah. So yeah. that only he will get that call. Like he's setting it up and, yeah. you know, he, he kind of is saying, you know, we've got to get him to call us rather than um, us trying to go over to him and, yeah. and get whatever confession out of him. I just like, saw that as that was their play, that that's no, how yeah. they interrogate people. You know? I know, but there was some there was something about it for yeah. me that um on the basis of um episode one and two were yeah, you could tell they were um partners, but it didn't feel like a Cagney and Lacey partnership or yeah. you know, it it, it felt for all of you, eighties, uh, yeah, or you know, a lethal weapon. What it right. felt like there was some distance yeah. There yeah. between the two of them that maybe they, they they weren't close partners. Like sometimes, you know, cop partners are normally kind yeah. of portrayed as as being like family. This seemed that, a bit yeah. more different and a bit more separate. Yeah, because her father was a Boston Celtics fan and she's a Pistons fan. So clearly, <laughs> yeah, well, clearly that's the reason for their distance, right? Uh, but. Do you guys not think that this would have been better being held? So all of a sudden he ends up with a bullet wound and then he says, like, it cuts. We don't see the scene. Mm-hmm. We don't know that he killed him or gave it, gave up Duke's identity, uh, to thing, to Cottonmouth and that this was held as a surprise for later. It is interesting. They're hitting, they're hitting similar kind of, it's not like they're taking stuff from Daredevil. I don't want to make it sound like that. But they're hitting some of the beats that Daredevil were hitting in episode seven, eight, yes, nine, nine definitely, season one, definitely. and they're hitting them in episode one, two, and three. And I'm not, I'm not so sure it's it's the wrong thing. I can't say it's the wrong thing right now. I was really surprised by Scarf being uh, yeah. being traitorous to the NYPD. I would have thought that someone like Misty's partner would be completely on the up and up, completely on the right side of the law, and she would know if he wasn't. Is it would is kind of my feeling. Um, but she's going to have a big story arc here directly after this. There's three episodes in. There's loads more of loads more of the show to go. So potentially that's her big story arc is she's going to realize that Luke is on the right side of the law and her partner isn't soon. So what does that do to her and where's yeah. her character go? It's going to go from there. So I'm not going to be able to say whether this is too early unless, you know, the last four episodes are Luke and Misty sitting in a park for, you know, hour after hour going, what are we supposed to do in Harlem now? Um, <laughs> we but, cleaned it all up. Yeah. Like if, if they've run out of storyline towards the end of the series, yes, it's too early. But, um, but this was, this is a big reveal uh, and it is very early in the season in comparison to what we've seen in the other yeah. shows. And it's, yeah. it's definitely familiar, but at the same time, I'm kind of there going, well, yeah, as a crime lord in Harlem, you, Damn right, need to have a cop on the payroll. Yeah. I like it's a reason for it, and that's because it's just good intel for for them. And Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, again, he's got the connections through his sister, sorry, his cousin, and you know, with regards to the politics mm-hmm. and, and all of this. But he he's looking at it purely uh, within Harlem. Yeah, it, it would have been quite nice just to have something where Chica goes missing, he don't really know why, maybe his body washes up yeah. uh, in the Hudson or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and obviously you just couldn't have had the bazooka ending, quite frankly, because that would have definitely come out of left field. Left field. You, you would have needed um, something. You could have actually, though, a deep throat style moment where... You could, would see a scarf, but he would be completely shadowed. Mm-hmm. His voice would be kind of 
like modulated or something and yeah exactly that, that could still so you could still hit all the beats and we'd be like who was this mysterious man in the car park underground yeah mm-hmm. or even that he got taken out as well and maybe just injured yeah. so that it really you know felt like it was all out war between these gangs mm-hmm. and the cops yeah. you know Absolutely. I just I just think I don't know it just didn't sit 100% right with me this right. this reveal so early I understand probably why they're trying to do this maybe we'll probably go into episode 4 or 5 6 and go yep yeah, makes complete sense yeah. you know but the way we review it it felt like a trope. It was an easy way out. Yep, your cop's dirty. There you go. This is how we're going to get all the answers. Right. You're going to get that style very quickly. Mm-hmm. It was just, I don't know. It just didn't, it didn't sit 100%. Right. Well, let, let me pop on to the next point. I think we've okay. talked about that quite a bit. Uh, my next point is something that sat really well with me. Uh, I think it, re- I think you mentioned it a little bit earlier on. It's about Domingo and uh, Stokes meeting. I love this idea. I love that we've been following Stokes now for three episodes as being the big bad. They've mentioned Diamondback a few times as being his boss, but now we've got Domingo in here in the mix as another member of the crime community in Harlem, I suppose, if you want to call them that. But another person who completely disrespects Stokes, another person who's saying you think you're in a higher tier on the ladder or higher step on the ladder than you are you're nothing the reason why things happen in this city is because well i can't do everything and you're such your your work is such small potatoes in comparison to mine that uh, you're allowed that i allow you to carry it out yeah uh, and then he declares war on the, at the end with some milky ways which i think was quite fun um <laughs> but, <laughs> what's that i thought it was snickers uh, no they're little, little milky, milky ways in ireland they'd be, they'd be mars uh, little, oh, mars okay. bars that he's pulling out of his pocket eating Half of and throwing them on the floor. Yeah, that uh, was so like, intimidating. Yeah, yeah, isn't it? For, especially for a guy who looks about five five, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I with, love with the, the towering yeah. uh, moment of Stokes standing over him, seething, and you know if there wasn't two other guys there, or if this guy wasn't the leader of another big gang in Harlem, he would have pummeled him to death on the floor of his club. It's small man angry syndrome. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, it beats, um, it beats like six foot six, uh, any day. Yeah. Like it's proper scurry. But I mean, I still felt like Cottonmouth was just going to crush Domingo's yeah. head or something. Like it was so intense, that whole scene. And, you know, each time the, the rapper went down on the floor, each time half the, the chocolate bar went down on the floor, just the, the look on Cottonmouth's face, sort of mm. the seething anger Absolutely. that was happening. You know, he, his, his safe houses are being taken out. He's had his, his shipment of guns taken out. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, this pipsqueak is in his um, club, disrespecting him and the club in this way. And just the, the expression of anger was so cool mm-hmm. um, on, on Cottonmouth's uh, face. And I just thought, okay, Domingo is going to get, you know, his head crushed like yeah. a melon, or there's just going to be all out like firefight or something. But I actually love that it didn't work out like that um, and and that ultimately, I think what we're seeing is that probably Cottonmouth thinks he's bigger than he actually is mm-hmm. by a long shot. Yeah. Um, you know, he he's not the kingpin of Harlem, for want of a better word. That is Diamondback. Maybe. Um, well, he's, I mean, he's definitely higher on the. Yeah, he's higher on the food thing. chain, exactly. And um, and then we see Domingo effectively come in and. and you know, slap him down, yeah. quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, he wants his money back. And, okay, let's see how this declaration of war goes. But, mm. I mean, like, you know, 
Yeah, small angry man. Reminds me of a lecturer I had at university. <laughs> a small angry man. Yeah, um, <laughs> taught climatology um, and was a Kiwi, and he was angry all the time. Really? They do and about him... five foot six. Yeah, yeah. See, they do call him Napoleon syndrome for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like it's literally there. There is a thing, and it's the same reason. Like who? Uh, there is that uh, anecdote about uh, men with um, small feet and large flashy cars. Have yeah. a an appendage that would be smaller than average, yeah. and thus they make up for it. <laughs> I think that's probably the best way I've ever explained that in the yes. world, yeah. without swearing, without using any of the bad language. <laughs> I managed much. to get my point across by a lot of substitution there, yes. but everyone understands what I'm talking about. Yes, definitely, definitely yeah. understand. But apologies to anyone who is five foot six out there. Absolutely. Not everyone yeah. is obviously a small angry man. But yeah, I love this moment. Another thing, another little meta thing that I liked about it is that it, that obviously another one of Netflix's big shows is Narcos. I love the fact that you've got this guy who's representing that side of uh, of Harlem as well, a completely different culture in Harlem uh, and a much higher um, level in, in Harlem, uh, the Harlem crime syndicates. I love this because it feels like a crime show set in Harlem again. I uh, really like those moments. John, do you want to give us your next point, or have you ran out of all your points? No, I've got about five more points that I could Okay, do. so um, you started with ten then, yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, just um, checking. It's R.I.P. Genghis Connie's mm-hmm. um, blasted uh, off the planet by um, a fairly vengeful um, cottonmouth, uh, you know, Wow. wow. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, <laughs> wow. Well, sweet, sweet sister. Uh-huh. Like, um, you know, it was bazooka time. I mean, he didn't so much holler at the dishwasher. Yeah. He pointed a bazooka at the dishwasher mm-hmm. and blasted an entire building to smithereens. I really hope Genghis Connie is, uh, still breathing under all that rubble. Yeah. I think it did look like Luke Cage was gonna, uh, was diving towards her so that he could uh, put his abs over her and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. protect her. Um, but you never know. If he has unbreakable skin, he could actually... Crush her. Crush her. Yeah. So that, that. Yeah. Poor, I'm, I'm hoping Genghis Khani is alive and well. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say that it didn't particularly shock me that or, or jar me uh, in terms of what happened relative to the previous 50 minutes. Yes. It did feel a bit left field, but at the same time, uh, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, you know, are these the hammer technology weapons that we were talking about? You know, if he's got them um, and if he potentially knows that Luke Cage has this unbreakable skin and that, yeah, is he using this to make sure he he finishes the job and and, and kills Luke Cage? Mm. Um, so there could be that. But I also think, given Domingo and, and Cottonmouth's exchange, given the relationship between um, Diamondback and Cottonmouth, and even, I think, with his cousin Mariah, there's an element where Cottonmouth feels like just a big kid. 
And for him, he's like, I'm going to show this punk what I'm going to do. Yeah. And, and grabbing a bazooka rather than, say, an Uzi or a handgun yeah. probably made him laugh. I love his laugh. It is slightly maniacal, a bit unhinged. It's like he's not fully in control. And so for me, the bazooka does make sense after thinking about it. But at the time, I was like, what? Where yeah. Is, yes. It was that cat yeah. gif where it was like, <laughs> and completely. But... I did, I did like it in the end. Um, and, uh, I just hope that old Connie's alive and well. Uh, yes, definitely, definitely agree with you. It, it, it came out of nowhere to me, uh, when watching it first. I think all I needed actually was maybe just one line from Scarf who'd worked out that Luke Cage was unbreakable. He is one of those guys. He's one of the powered people. He doesn't say it to him. He doesn't, no. he doesn't say it to Cottonmouth in no, the conversation doesn't. that he's a powered person. That's why he survived. Yeah. He said there's one guy responsible for this. It just needed that little bit. I know yeah. you could easily make that leap. This is a city that has heroes in it. You can easily make the leap that this is a guy that's super Chico powered. Chico made the leap. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So and I just if Chico can do it, anyone can do it. <laughs> Very he's not true. the smartest. <laughs> but what I mean is at this moment in time, we don't. Yeah. Cottonmouth hasn't kind of said it explicitly. Exactly. No, I mean, I agree. It's not that he can't know. It's just that you didn't see it on screen, at least. Yeah, I, I feel he does. Like, I feel, I feel that's the reason why he's brought the rocket launcher with him is because he knows this is a parrot guy and he's going, well, hundreds and hundreds of bullets didn't do it. I saw the place after the fact. I've seen the videotapes of it. Yeah. Hundreds of bullets didn't do it. So maybe a rocket launcher will. That's true, you know? actually. But the he video. is so angry. I can see it, you know, the, the whole concept of this, this guy is totally obsessed with money. We've, he's talked about it over and over again. He went and shot up, you know, a bunch of places trying to get the million dollars back that was yeah. taken by Chico and Shamik. Uh, he went and, you know, took out so many places for that. And this is basically what's happened to him in this one day is that yeah, every absolutely. single location around the city where he, where he stores his money, yeah, that was all taken. Then it was pushed back to Addicts. And then all that money was taken as well. So he's lost almost all of his money in one day yep. by one guy. Yeah. He is so angry. And I get what you're talking about, John. He's almost like a child here. He's going, I am going to destroy everything yeah. that belongs yeah. to this he guy. Should have, yeah, he should have rocked up in a tank. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, like oh, I, that. <laughs> what was it, like, Flight of the Bumblebees <laughs> playing over two loudspeakers? That'd yeah, be amazing. You know what? If that would have been hilarious. Yeah, Vog- no, yeah. Wagner. Wagner, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know what? If Luke survives this, I wouldn't put it past him <laughs> in a future episode for that to happen. You know? Okay, can I just... One thing. The CGI of mm. the building was terrible. Really? I'm sorry. Come on. It just looks so... It looked like something from like almost five, six years ago. I kind of know what you mean, but it wasn't so much the building falling down. I think it was... The explosions, fireball going yes. up the building looked a it just bit dark. It just, yeah. right. it, it wasn't. And I'm wondering, okay, this could be multiple. Now I'm speculating. It's either potentially all Netflix's stuff is filmed in 4K. Okay. And yeah. then it's downscaled. Right. For the uh, 1080p, 720, 4K. Okay. I'm wondering if it would, it looks better in 4K. Better in 4K, maybe. 4K yeah. and it's just been, Kind of pulled down. So, listeners, if you want to send us in two and a half thousand euro, we'll go and buy ourselves a 4K TV yeah. and get a 4K subscription. Just to make sure, yeah, you know, just to make sure, like, it is important. Should we open up a Patreon for yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just this one. We just need well, the 4K. Tequila. 
You don't know your tequilas at all. No, I don't at all. All I know from Patreon is that's what where you get sponsorship. Yeah. Stuff, that's <laughs> it's a nice so range of tequilas. So should we well. set that up mm. for to get a 4K TV, do you think? No. Yeah. No. Okay. No. No. But it did look off. I'm really sorry. Right. It just... The, the, I, I, I've watched it three, four, five times. But it's a bit splitting hairs, though. I mean, yeah, you could kind of tell, but it it was fine. So, so for me... I, I, I'm a bit of a fidelity nut in terms of, yeah, I am. I, computer games, like, I need, it needs to be smooth. Screen sharing just takes me out of, right. I, I like to be in, if I'm bought into something, a computer game, a film, a book, mm-hmm. when something jars you out of it, right. it, it's just, that's true. It just kind of, you kind of, oh, well, yeah, I'm watching, uh, a TV show yeah. versus like oh wow that looked amazing and like, I'm not saying that I need something from like a budget the, the size of like the Avengers of course of like course. it's just w- something went wrong with that it shared a bit and I just want to see did anyone else notice it it could be that it's just me mm-hmm. and that's fine because screen share annoys me and drags me out so this do you know what I'll say in response I don't know whether the CGI took me out of it as much as a rocket coming across the screen. <laughs> Honestly, because I was not expecting it at all. When the rocket lo- rocket goes off from that moment onwards, my jaw was on the floor going, okay, was, they've yeah. blown up a corner of, of, of Harlem with a rocket launcher. This is not how I was expecting this wire version of Marvel or Marvel <laughs> yeah, version okay. of the wire to go. I was totally taken out of it. I was almost expecting that Luke was looking up seeing the rocket come towards him. I was almost expecting him to reach up and grab the rocket oh. out, of the, out of the air and throw it back or something like that. Because wow. I'm going, this is now a comic book moment. Because <laughs> you wouldn't see this in the wire. That would be weird, you know? Um, so I thought you it was don't even see big... that in Daredevil or Jessica Jones. Yeah, I thought it was suddenly going to be this big comic book moment where you're going, right, okay, we're, we're, we're now three episodes in. You're bought in. You're going to watch the show now. Yeah. And now Luke's going to do something straight out of a comic book here. He's going to that bat that right actually, across the street again. You know? Even the backhand. Yes, yeah, that would have like been, that. or he stepped into it, bazooka, and tennis. it kind of like just the, something like that. Wow, that'd be cool. But it's more, you know, the one where you, he, they step into it and it explodes around them. Yeah, and then you would see Luke Cage shirtless, kind of with it all kind of singed mm. and burned off, and then you would have Cottonmouth going, "Oh, what?" <laughs> Uh-huh. That would make sense then because he maybe didn't know he was powered before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be cool. But can you imagine if a bullet to the head gives him a headache, still gives him headaches? Yeah. Yep. A bazooka to the, the abs would give him stomach aches. Well, we've seen him do time. worse to the abs. I'm pretty sure his abs can take it. Possibly. Well, that's true. But remember what he's also got to put up with here. It's not just the bazooka. He now has, what, seven, eight stories of a building sitting yeah. on top of him uh, for the next yeah. episode. You know, I hope he saves Connie. I hope so. I hope so too. Um, definitely. But uh, I think one of the other things that as well that I wanted to quickly say as well was just that it's coming back to you talking about the money aspect. You know, it, it is all about the money. Um, like that exchange between him and uh, his cousin Mariah um, mm-hmm. on on the bench and in the club, I think, again just shows the difference between the two of them. Okay, maybe they're not necessarily um the goodies in, in this show as oh, such no. as such. But I'm talking more about Mariah here. But it's like oh, no. you know, she says you'll get your money back. Uh, I've lost my name and people will effectively start coming and sniffing around the the, the Crispus Atticus uh, building because mm-hmm. that's her her political headquarters. And I, I love the fact that, you know, 
for him, money is king. Yeah. Um, for her, it's reputation. It, it's her name. Yeah. It's her standing. Uh, and, you know, we, we go back to their, their, their Mama Mabel, um, and the stuff that she had done where she was bribing local politicians yeah. effectively to get like a, a park and, and children play area set up. So it, it, it's really interesting kind of history being brought out. Yeah. But I love the fact that again, we see this difference between the two of them, even though, you know, they're, they're not the, the, the best people. And mm-hmm. um, she is not about the money and Cottonmouth evidently is. Yeah, and, and this is this was my final point. I'm just going to throw in a little a little bit about it here as well. Um, I love the conversation between the two of them because he's almost saying to her, "I don't know what world you're living in. You wouldn't be able to do any of this without me giving you the money. Um, you're doing nothing except your front for our money." You know, he's he's suddenly taken away that whole thing that we thought she was actually a legitimate candidate for mm. uh, for for an election in New York. He's saying to her. Without me or without, without you just standing in front of a camera saying that you're here to sponsor New York, we wouldn't be able to just clean our money. Like, you're just a washing machine. That's all you are. Um, or a dishwasher. Basically a dishwasher. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she's, he's effectively saying to her, you know, the concepts you stand on, your ideas, your knowledge all comes from, um, from me. All of the money comes from me and the person that you're following, the person that you believe you're following into a political career was actually someone that just bribed other governors in New York. That's all, that's all Mama Mabel did was bribe other people. So she was much more like me than you're like her. Yeah. That makes sense. And yeah. um, he's kind of calling her out immediately about the whole idea of her political career is nothing. Uh, she's just there to, to cover up the money. I, I think what they've done with this show is they've, okay. So we look at Vincent D'Onofrio in Daredevil. He was not an antagonist. He, they wanted you to relate to him, but you didn't really. You relate to him maybe on an empathy level, mm-hmm. but not what he was doing and the way he was doing it. Yeah. This is where they've gone and created antagonists, full-on antagonists. Split. They've split the 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 ta- role of antagonist into two, and goes, okay, Cottonmouth. He just wants to have control of Harlem. That's what mm-hmm. he wants. But she wants to make things better, and she's very believable. And they, yeah, he's going. Okay, look, my evil f- deeds are funding your the way of life and mm-hmm. the way that you want to do things, and I will do it. So they're trying to make you almost like and agree with the antagonists mm. to a degree. Yeah, like because the the way she's the the. the 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 movements that she's talking about in the first two episodes, uh-huh. the the things that in front of the TV, like aside from the very racist make Harlem black again, yeah, or keep Harlem black or something was one of those, that was slightly weird, but the rest of it is kind of like it's Black Lives Matter and yeah. like they're trying to make you go, okay, I can kind of see, okay, I don't agree with the drug running, yeah, or well, not drugs, sorry, gun running, but he he built. Harlem's Paradise, mm-hmm. and that is a successful club where everyone goes in Harlem. But he calls her out so much in this discussion. He co- he says she says to him, "We're just here trying to make sure that we have a, a rejuvenated area in Harlem. We're, we're, that's what we're here for. That's what we're working towards." He goes, "No, that will never happen. The reason why I set up this place in this area of Harlem is because people overlook it. It's where all the crap happens. It's where all the drug addicts are. That's why I've set up this area to store my money because." Um, because nobody comes near it. 
And yeah. he wanted to say that these, the, the new affordable housing will just be projects again. Yeah. And that's why he calls out and says, they're just going to be projects. Exactly. Like the old ones before. So he has no belief in what she Absolutely. wants to do at all. He's like, you're there playing with dolls. I'm getting all the money and I'm going to get more money and I'm going to keep building up on my money stores if I can get past this little moment. Um, final bit for me on this, just a little, little call out. I was going to save it for my notes, but. Because we're talking about the comparison between Cottonmouth and, uh, and, um, Mariah, I like that he calls out that she's also got a nickname that she absolutely hates. Uh, so another little fun connection between the two of them. She's Black Mariah, he's Cottonmouth, and both of them react the same way to their, to their nickname. Don't ever call me that. <laughs> so I thought it was a nice little call out. At least she doesn't look like Black Mariah from the comics. What's Black Mariah look like in the comics? Uh, she's a, um, do, do we all remember the blob from uh, X-Men or the yeah. Book of Mutants? Yeah. Basically that. Really? She, there's a, she was in, she was introduced in Luke Cage as issue five, the very beginning, mm-hmm. uh, and Luke punches her, and because of her, uh, gland issues where she retains a lot of water, mm-hmm. she falls through the f- floor. Okay. She was that big. Right. Um, so, <laughs> it, yeah, I was like, okay, it was a great call out, lovely Easter egg, mm-hmm. um, and obviously baby, Maybe she gets hit with, uh, now she goes into a depression st- spiral and eats lots of donuts and becomes <laughs> Black Mariah. Maybe. That could be how they bring her in, but I don't think so. No, maybe, yeah. maybe not, but I did like that that is, that there is a connection between the two of them and they, and they both have their Definitely. names that they hate. Absolutely. Really Chris, what's your next point? We actually found that Pop's real name is Henry Hunter. That's yes. right. Yeah. Which is really cool. And I like that they, 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 they still then kept referring to him as Pop's later on. Yeah. But we did find it. Now, I did a bit of digging. I can't find any Henry Hunters, even though it's an alliteration. Sounds like something Stan Lee would do. Mm-hmm. I can't That's find a Henry Hunter in the comic books that mm. should be linked. I could be wrong, but I couldn't find anything. But more importantly that, I still love the fact that, John, you alluded to it earlier in terms of forward, uh, forward always. always, always forward. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um we we call this in the kind of beginning and then pretty much the last two episodes we call this in both of our episodes in that this is the origin story this is the uncle ben this is the driving factor for luke cage mm-hmm. in this series but more and more luke's driving factor is death yeah yeah. And that's what it is yeah. reva's death yeah. now pops is death yeah. these this is becoming his combined Uncle Ben with great power becomes great responsibility style. Yeah. It's like this is he he has one which is forward, always, always forward. Mm-hmm. He will drive himself. He will make Harlem great again. Yeah. And then my gut tells me we'll have a third one, the Trinity of the Death. Maybe that will okay. make it to a point where okay. That's what makes him go, okay, I can't just look after Harlem. Okay. No, well, I need to be a defender. So let's just talk about that. In this episode, he talks Chico into getting out of his hospital bed, joining him on the right side, and reporting to the cops. Yeah? If he hadn't done that, Chico would still be alive. Yep. Right? So is Chico already the third? It's, I, could L- be. Luke has talked him into doing something against what he would have naturally done, right? Yeah. So I think that's a possibility, yeah. And he I think the third, is, the third death out. on his... On his uh, on his list, I guess. His ledger. ledger. The red ledger. Yeah, possibly. Um, I think that, I think, I don't know if it's going to be fully Chico. I think Chico's the one that's going to make him not believe in the cops. Mm-hmm. And then that's, I will be the hero 
I'm, this is my, actually, yeah, it does make, Chico, we'll find it. Yeah, that makes sense with Chico. I didn't, yeah. I wasn't having that racial connection. Um, I was thinking maybe someone else. So maybe he had to, he cast a kill shades or he do the, the, very much a Superman, the man of steel kind of scene where he'll snap someone's neck and go, no, okay. <laughs> I, I think there's something. Death looms over him. Yeah. Definitely. Or maybe Each, it's Connie. You know, like we've just yeah, possibly lost Connie. Connie in this yeah. episode. That's, yeah. Again, if he hadn't been in the location with her, yeah, she wouldn't be dead, maybe. I, <laughs> I just think he's going to need something that's going to drive him outside of Harlem. Mm-hmm. So he's been driven. I don't want Connie to die. No, no. I don't either. Don't worry. No. Don't worry. Don't we, haven't, <laughs> we haven't seen episode four. We'll see if he is the superhero that he needs to be or whether this is going to be another driving I force. I love the way yeah. she said the food wasn't that good when he oh, hands yeah. over the bundle of notes. That was so, so nice. good. That was so good. Nice. And then she got blown up. Yeah. <laughs> well, she could be powered. Her yeah. power to, I don't know. She, she maybe makes her super powered dumplings. Like is Genghis Khan a reference to the <gasps> fact that she's been around since the Genghis Khan times? Or she grows in size like the Hulk. Maybe. And then you just see this, like, she straight away her, her hair melds into like Madame Genghis. Gao in disguise. Yeah. <laughs> okay, before we go completely yeah. beyond the realms of possibility. <laughs> what do you guys think? Do you think this is a very much a death focused driving force storyline? Without a doubt. It feels yeah. like Luke is is becoming more and increasingly pushed by the people around him and, and by the loss of people around him. This is, this is where the central port yeah. portions of his character yeah. from the start, but you know, kind right, of right, isolated as well. Yeah. But right the way back to Jessica Jones, he arrives yeah. in that city as a person driven by the death of his wife. And it's only, it's only episodes into that show that we realize Jessica knows who his wife was, knows what happened to her. Yeah. And he doesn't, you know, um, that, that whole pressure that comes from, being in that situation, being tied into uh, loss and tragedy, uh, seems to be continuing to push yeah. him. But it's also that isolation from the losses, but also, I mean, even with Chico, he doesn't seem to have a warm relationship with yeah. him in, in any way. And he certainly didn't with Shamik. Yeah. I mean, he, he's not um, devastated in the same way over Shamik uh, and, and Dante as obviously with with pop um you know similarly with misty knight at this moment in time um like he is and has a cool relationship despite getting into bed with with her you know there is that kind of standoffishness because she's suspicious of him and he is thinks and is equally suspicious of her because of her lies to him yeah so it's not only that he's losing people but um he's isolated from all the people that are still alive. I mean, with the exception probably of Bobby Fish yeah. at this moment in time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what a great moment between the two of them in, the, in this episode. That brings me to my last point is with Bobby Fish. I love that exchange between the two of them in uh, the barbershop um, sort of just eulogizing about um, pop. Uh, and, you know, I, I love the fact that, you know, Luke Cage there is like saying, go and tell me who won, you know, thinking that it was always going to be pop, you know, almost kind of, um, putting him on a pedestal as well. Mm-hmm. And I love that, uh, Bobby Fish just comes back and he says, just cause the brother's dead, it doesn't mean I'm going to start changing the facts. Yeah. Like I was the one that won, uh, you know, every time. Yeah. And I love <laughs> this. And I, I love the, the moment where he says, you know, um, 
I'm not going to take the king out, cotton mouth. I'm going to take his rooks and I'm going to take his, his bishops and I'm going to take his knights, you know. And his queen. And his queen. Take them all off the board and then I can deal with him. I love that kind of strategy of the game that Pop and Fish plays. Um, and this coming into, to Luke's sphere. But yeah, I just thought that whole, part of this episode was fantastic and yeah. I love the fact I'm not going to start changing the facts I beat him yeah. like you know just made, just bringing Luke back down to to earth saying you know this guy wasn't a saint mm-hmm. you know like you, you, you could uh, imagine the way he would think about it that you know he he wasn't the best at everything, but what he did have was wisdom, you know, yeah. really good. Yeah, and I really like the idea that, that Bob Fish has been in there. He's been doing the accounts for Pop. That's why he hangs around playing chess all day, every day. He could no longer see him because Pop got too busy and then came working working for him. But he's not, again, he's not, um, he's not, he's still a grey character as well. He still kind of, you know, gets the money from Luke to sort out the place, you know, the, the Eddie Grand he needs yep. to, to sort it out. And takes it and goes and uses it. He he goes. I'm not going to ask any questions because then nobody Absolutely. can question me yeah. about it. Which is, I if I'm right, it, that's a, ask no questions, tell no lies. Uh, exactly, ask no questions, tell no lies. Which I think is almost verbatim what Leland Elsley said yep. about uh, about what Kingpin does with his money. It's very much a I don't ask those questions. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here to sort out the books and take care of the money. You know. Um. So I like that little. There's there's still a grey area in there as well with them. But uh. But yeah, some great scenes between those two characters. The reason I loved these scenes in particular was the the chess mm-hmm. analogies. Yeah. I think that is hopefully what we'll see in that maybe this. So pops was the mentor about getting your life on track, doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. we'll see now, it's like. Okay, you need to start thinking of your battles and your war as a chess game. Yeah. You take out the rook, you take out the green, you take out X, Y, and Z before mm-hmm. you go for the king. And I think that was interesting. Like, yeah. And I think yeah. that's a nice analogy for the whole. I say, I, my gut tells me basically we've had the, the, the notorious BIG king motif mm-hmm. in episode one. I don't know what we had in episode two. But then we had this chess piece around being a king. And well, we, I suppose chess did play a reasonably big part. That's where uh, Turk and and Bobby yeah. Fish were playing chess throughout yeah. the episode. So, and then he, t- he Turk made his move. So, you know, yeah. maybe that's it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Is that all our points for the episode? It is. Yes, it certainly is. Yeah, a uh, couple of notes. I'd yeah. say I about the yeah, episode. Yeah. Got a few. Got a few notes. Yeah. Absolutely. Chris, do you want to give us notes? So I do. The, the the first note I want to give is just the question out to the two of you very quickly in terms of how is this going to escalate? In okay. that this is a wire, realistic, gritty show about a man with unbreakable skin, unbreak like super strength. Yet we've seen no other powered people. Mm-hmm. I know. And I, it's starting to make me curious is that we talked about could shades be powered. Yeah. But, but we basically need someone who can either meddle with Luke's mind again. Mm-hmm. Or you need someone. Like Kilgrave. Who, yeah. Yeah, like Kilgrave. Or you have someone who, else who is as powered because even Justin Hammer's guns and bazookas, they're not going to break a man's skin unless he's when he's unbreakable, unless it's a powered styled mm-hmm. kind of, uh, it's a, it's a, um, 
It's a weapon designed to take down Thor. Right, right. Which potentially it's could possibly. I think the presence that we're missing is the pa- other powered element. Right. I, I'm conscious of two things. Uh, number one, we still haven't seen Diamondback. We yes. haven't. We haven't seen that character. He's yeah. been mentioned every episode. What's since harder the start. than steel? Diamond. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, so there is a possibility that in this version of the show or in this version of the character, we will get a powered Diamondback. Uh, somebody else that he, that maybe went through the experiments, um, that we've that he's met him before. There's a possibility of that. And the second thing is, again, three episodes in, we've had two Avengers mentions. We do, we we they have mentioned that this is in the universe where, although it's only Harlem and it's a small area of New York, it is the city where the incident happened. They are fully aware of other superheroes in the city. Um, so I think it's entirely possible we will get another powered character. And I think they they are laying that in to the show, so that yeah. you're, so you're not just thinking about this as Marvel's uh, wire. You are thinking of this as a real a reality based show in Harlem, but in the world of superheroes. Yeah, so, okay. yeah. Like if Mariah Dillard is Black Mariah, she could turn into a, the Blob. Yeah, surround him and suffocate him. It's true. It's true. So there's different textures. Like you know, it's it, what what can kill. I mean, I'm totally making that up. I'm not expecting that to happen at all. Mm. But it is like what different properties can uh, overcome, you know, the man with unbreakable skin. Yeah. It's something harder or is equally as hard like a diamond. Yeah. It's something with a different property, something maybe more uh, like water or, or, or a gel that can surround him or it's someone getting into his head and, and messing with his mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, we did have in Jessica Jones where, you know, they were trying to s- rescue him in the hospital. Yeah. Um, you know, again. And that was just shock onto the face. If somebody doesn't know exactly. how to take care of that, you never know. And um, the thing is, yeah. like, mm-hmm. there's other systems and other parts of his body that can shut down and ultimately kill him. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he's still vulnerable. Um, you know, I'm yeah. wondering if after having the bazooka at him and then the building fall on top of him, whether maybe there'll just be like uh, a little plaster on his forehead. <laughs> yeah. A bit like when Captain Hello, America Hello almost... Kitty one. Yeah. Just a little Hello yeah. Kitty plaster. Just, I mean, it's almost like the, the same kind of ideas as when... Um, Captain America just nudges Thor's hammer where in, in, uh, Stark Avengers Tower yeah. in Age of Ultron. It, it's just that same kind of thing where it's like, yes, he is unbreakable, but this almost broke him. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> just yeah. slightly. Like it's a yeah. graze or something like that. Yeah. Um, I think that would be kind of, kind of cool. Yeah. Now we are all speculating on the fact that Luke survives because we haven't seen episode four, obviously, but you know, this could be maybe it's flashbacks from now on and this is the final scene of episode 13, you know, maybe they've been setting this up like the way this episode started at the end of the, of the attack. So I'm really hopeful no. that this hasn't killed yeah, Luke they, Cage. You know, all the worse? defenders or yeah. potentially Iron Fist. Exactly. Do you yeah. know what worse? We'll see a flashback in episode four and then it just fades to black and five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and thirteen. <laughs> Just black. black. Right. It's just empty space. Yeah, yeah. You never know. Um, for me, just one of my notes that I that I wanted to make was the conversation between Chico and uh, and Luke. We talked about it a little bit, but I, there's just a great moment for my culture in that scene when Chico goes um, is is describing Attucks and saying to him, "It's like Fort Knox." You know, it's got concrete everywhere. It's got walls that you can't break through. It's got just one entrance and one exit. And you can see on Luke's face where he's kind of, kind of weighing it up going, hmm, concrete everywhere, walls, one entrance, one way in, one way out. 
do I know a guy that can break through concrete and walls <laughs> and go in one entrance and come out and make his own entrance out? I do. It's me. It's a great little moment from from Mike Coulter, just the way he's reacting to that to that conversation with with Chico. Just I just think it was fun. It was like I'm like a tank. I could do all yeah, of this. Yeah, no, that was you're not cool. you're not telling me anything. It's not like it's booby trapped or or it's uh, it's surrounded by. Uh, by people that can stop me. It's just guys with guns, machetes. Yeah, grand. I can take yeah. care of them. You know, really, really good little moment, Mike. Uh, John, do you have another note? I do have some notes. Yes. Um, I love, um, I love the exchange between Luke Cage and Misty Knight in the corridor, the, 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 the sexful, ah. uh, lean oh, in yes. and he goes, this time you can bring your handcuffs and like mm-hmm. you just see, uh, Raphael Scarf's face, you know, of like, the, the 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 dawning realization that these two have had it on yeah. and like he brings that up later on but you know i love this kind of you know slightly frosty antagonism that they have and it but i mean it, it's also that kind of uh, machismo thing of, of of you know bringing it trying to soften it with his his quippy sexful kind of well darling you know this time you can bring your handcuffs yeah. like trying to disarm her in that way and of course yeah. like misty knight um, doesn't have any of it. Like she, you know, she's still completely suspicious. So I, I, I yeah. love that. You know, Misty Knight is absolutely this strong uh, woman. And I love that even with, um, Luke Cage doing that kind of, uh, thing to try and bring her off balance, she's still like, Stays the course yeah. and, and is still focused. So like, I love her concept that, that, you know, that nothing, nothing, nothing really bad. Not that bad had happened in Harlem for a couple of weeks. And then Luke Cage arrives and what happens? Yeah. So, you know, he worked for, he worked for Pop. He worked for Cottonmouth and she sees him at the, uh, at the addicts location. So now she thinks, is it him that's causing all of this stuff? So I love that little, that little way that she's connected them all together. Definitely. Yeah. Um, we have the Greek Anthora coffee cup that's um, nice. that Misty Knight has. Uh, in the the station, the police station. So we have that, and that was also uh, on Daredevil uh-huh. and on Jessica Jones, I think, as well. The 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 coffee cup. Yeah, um, a well, a well known icon of New York, apparently, real coffee shop in New York, where uh, where lots of production companies get their coffee for uh, for background to kind of set up the fact that it's based in real world New York. So yeah, so uh, nice um, that that was the other one, and then the, my final note actually is just that great scene where Luke Cage goes um, and attacks the second safe house and it's just after he's come through the door and he's done a few punch-ups it just focuses on the the drug addict the the woman on the sofa absolutely spaced out completely drugged up and then the camera pans round and you have Misty Knight and you have Raphael Scarf there um, asking her really, really visceral. I mean, really a strong statement of, um, you know, drug abuse yeah. and, and so on. And, and you see, you know, Misty Knight sort of realizing that, you know, she's not going to get anything from this girl mm-hmm. because she's absolutely off her face on, on drugs. Yeah. And it's like, I thought that was absolutely a fantastic moment it was, um, wasn't it? With, yeah. within the, this episode. Really good. Yeah, what did he really look good. like? Fine. Yeah, it was so good. <laughs> but is that the reason why, why Misty made the connection that it is Luke at all these locations? You know, does she think he's fine still as well? She does, of course, of yes. course. I just have one other one. Did you guys, did any of my eagle-eyed uh, guys notice anything books related for our book watch? 
I didn't actually. No, unless I think I book watch maybe. <laughs> I think book watch maybe um, dead uh, along with uh, Henry Connie's. Hunter and Pops. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Connie. Yeah. And Connie. Oh, okay. Poor no, Connie. just I had to put that out. Yeah, no uh, book watch. Listeners, if anyone anyone saw one that we maybe missed, answers on the back of a postcard. The Bible in the mortuary. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, maybe that could be it. Derek, do you have any final points? Uh, no, I think that's it. I'm just trying to work out who's going to take the weight on this episode. Chris, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage, episode three? Who's going to take the weight? I do. If I'm going to score it, though, I'm giving it a three out of five. Okay, still a recommend. It, it's still a recommend. It's still good. The It's just the, some of the th- points that we've discussed, like the slower pacing... For me, the jarringness of the, the end scene, mm-hmm. but I think that's just potentially me with the visuals, but more scarfs twist. Mm-hmm. I think it was, they, they almost fired the bullet too early with that one. Um, and I think they could have got away with more. It's still a good, it's still a great episode. It's still every reason we talk through it. It's the reimagining of his origin or origin 2.0. This is what makes Luke Cage Luke Cage. I'm eager to jump in to the next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, the following ones, obviously, per se. Um, it's just there was something slightly off with this one. It's not that it wasn't, like, it had great scenes, it had bad scenes, it had, like, one or two bad scenes, and that shouldn't affect it as a whole, mm-hmm. but I think it was just the, the, I really think it was just the scarf spit. Right. The more I think about it, I'm like, trying to, like, rational, rationalize it in my head. I think it just, it, it annoyed me that it was so early, because I think they could have done, they could have made it a lot bigger uh, more explosive reveal right from that right. because that is going to change misty's world mm-hmm. luke's world cotton med's world that's set all this up i think you could have done it slightly better right. and i think it's but i understand why they're doing it early though mm-hmm. because otherwise it would have felt we would have been complaining oh but they waited too long and now it's all rushed all the 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 the, the results of this reveal have been rushed too fast right, right. yeah but overall, yes, I do recommend it. I do defend it. It's just, it's a defendish. <laughs> All right, John, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage? I do defend this episode of uh, Luke Cage. Um, I'm going to give this three and a half Virginia Slims out of five. <laughs> um, like, I, and obviously we, we learned that that's um, skinny white guys yeah. uh, slang. Uh, so, yeah, I'm giving this three and a half. I, I think this is a really good episode. I took so much out of it. I think there is an element where the bazooka rocket feels a bit off kilter, but yeah. I've kind of resolved that. I'm absolutely fine with it. But uh, in this, I loved the exchanges that went on uh, from Misty and Luke in, in the corridor of the hospital, Cottonmouth and Mariah on the bench and in the club between Raphael and Cottonmouth. I really liked between Domingo Colon and Cottonmouth. All of this I thought was really, really good. I, I just thought the exchanges between all these characters in this episode was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think I know it was only a note of mine, but I do think that the, the lingering scene on the drug addicted uh, woman on the sofa in the safe house, I think was absolutely poignant. And I mean, 
actually stood out from the rest of the episode as well. Uh, and maybe on the, the other end of the scale of, of um, from the bazooka element of it. But, um, you know, I'm really hoping that Genghis Connie is still alive and that Luke has put his, um, his abs to good use and can support the weight of, of the building. I, I really do. I thought, I think, um, I think Genghis Connie is, is such a great, concept of um a a restaurant uh, and a character um i'm really looking forward to that the the whole corridor fight as well giving that 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 moment um seeing the the pig on the payroll i mean there's so much that went on in this episode mm-hmm. um i could even say you know having resolved the bazooka element in my mind you know i would give it uh, for Virginia Slims out of five as well. It's certainly as good as the previous two episodes. Yeah, so, um, it's a really strong episode. And I can't wait to see how this bazooka is going to effectively, uh, blow apart this series and see, like, what is going to happen. As Chris said, you know, what's going to, what are the ramifications now of this? How is this going to play mm. out? Um, you know, What's the, you know, when Cottonmouth sees that he's still alive, like what yeah. is going to happen? Mm. Are we going to see the super villain come out of the woodwork? Because mm-hmm. now that's the only way you're going to be able to deal and take down and yeah. um, this new threat for Cottonmouth, which is Luke Cage, yeah. because he's been set on that path. And I think finally, um, you know, it's just the fact that it's coming from such a poignant relationship um, that he is now well on this course to being you know uh, a a force for good and and combating the crime on the basis of pop going up to the big uh, barber shop in in the sky absolutely it is it is very interesting it's something we haven't seen in the other shows really um this attack and i just didn't think about it until now this attack in the middle of harlem with a rocket launcher to a building in the middle of harlem is pretty public Yep. It's more public than anything we saw in Jessica or Daredevil. Uh, you know, a lot of that stuff was taking place on rooftops and behind uh, things that were going on. Do you think there's going to be a pretty big reaction in Harlem to the fact that there's a guy that survived the toppling of a building on his head yeah. from a rocket launcher in the middle of the city? You know? It depends if he's seen. Possibly, yeah. So it's more, I, I, I imagine he's going to kind of scamper away. Right. And then it's like, I'm not what so the sure. hell happened to... I'm expecting a building exploding in the center of the city brings along the press helicopter, uh, brings along the police very quickly, and he's going to crawl out of that pile of trash um, uh, as yeah. the unbreakable uh, Luke, Luke Cage. Cage. Yeah, and so it is how public is this going to be mm. for him? Yeah, so it's really interesting. Okay, yeah. 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 But the news have played a huge part so far in every episode. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But Derek, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage? I do defend this episode. There were th- three big central characters pulled into this episode all three of them did a great job you know Mike Coulter as Luke Cage obviously his storyline taking place alongside Cottonmouth's many different storylines and Misty Knight as well playing another central role in the show Uh, loved this episode really loved what was going on I think possibly after two seasons of Gotham uh, and our coverage over there I'd probably not as shocked when something like uh, somebody with a rocket launcher walks out and blows up a building in the middle of the city it's not an unusual occurrence in Gotham. So um it did surprise me that Cottonmouth would do something like this in the show. As I said, I was a little bit taken aback. But afterwards, I'm kind of going, okay, it makes a bit of sense. I can I can rationalize it pretty quickly. 
probably because of those two years on Gotham. But um, <laughs> but this is a very good episode, another strong episode in the show, and is making me really excited to see what's going to happen uh, in the rest of the season. Um, and really interested to see what the ramifications are going to be in in Harlem as well for these characters. So uh, another strong, strong episode for uh, for Luke Cage. Excellent. Um, I think with that, we can move on to some feedback. Mm-hmm. So from episode three, we've got a few bits of feedback that have come in on Facebook. Uh, Derek Whitfield has, um, has the same kind of feeling as myself. He really, uh, enjoyed, um, the nothing humbles a man like gravity. Uh, really good quote. Absolutely. And, um, it's great, isn't it? I love that yeah. Stokes is telling, uh, Luke that, uh, that the murder of Pop has been taken care of. Don't you worry about it, but uh, the way he tells him with that line is just it's just hilarious. Absolutely. Really. And I actually that's one of the things from this episode which was really good as well, um, is you know, that apportioning of blame. It, it's that, you know, Chico is, is kind of like what happened to me is still on Cottonmouth. Mm. You know, is it tone? Luke is kind of saying, what's happened to Pop? That's on you. You can't take that away. Whereas Cottonmouth very much is like thinking, look, I didn't mean this to happen. He went outside his brief, basically. And look, I, I've dealt with him. Um, and there's that really nice kind of moment in the, the mortuary where uh, he just hands over the little wallet of, of presumably a lot of cash to the, the funeral home director yeah. to say, just this body can't exist. Um, yeah. Really creepy. And nice um, little touch with Scarf later on calling that out, that he knows that that's what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, really, um, really good line, um, which is picked out there by Derek. Uh, thank, thanks for the feedback there, Derek Whitfield. Uh, we also have from Doug Green, just finished episode four, Loving Misty Night, mm-hmm. um, as does Chris. Yep. No said. <laughs> no, we all love Misty Knight, but what a great portrayal of such a fantastic character Definitely. on the screen. Really good. Simone uh, Missick is doing a really fine job um, bringing this character to life. Definitely. I love what you did there. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, no, I, I don't want to sound like some pervy 12-year-old. Um, <laughs> but you will. But I will. Simone Missick's character is fantastic. The way her portrayal is fantastic. Her delivery as an actress is fantastic. Absolutely. And I really do. I, I'm loving her as a character and the, the actress who is delivering this. She's on a, a level where we will see probably... Could she overtake Mike Coulter as the, the face of this kind of the standout star? Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. But it is really cool already this weekend as, a, as the show airs. There's been some interviews with Simone Missick where she's confirming that she's going to be in Defenders. So we are going to see Misty Knight back in Defenders. So that's quite cool. So Definitely. I know they're bringing over a bunch of characters from each of the shows that are going to be uh, coming together in the, in the miniseries Defenders. I think we, we think it's going to be about six episodes, right? So, I think so. Um, Might she get her own show like uh, Punisher did? Could be. You know, Heroes for Hire, possibly. Yeah. I, th- I think we'll need a little bit more. I think we will need her to drop off the NYPD. I think we'll need yeah. her to, to get potentially a form of superpower to get the metal arm or to get something like that. I don't know whether we're going to get her as a spin-off show just as a detective. So hopefully we'll, we'll see a bit more of the character and see what happens. Well, they could end up with a procedural style cop show potentially potentially yeah. they could do anything here with uh, with Marvel Netflix there's so much more time that they can fill out with Marvel absolutely and then our final uh, comment came in from um, Ronaldo this isn't so much about episode 3 
but it, it's more of a general comment. Um, here's a thought. Would Black Panther's vibranium claws or Logan's adamantium claws cut Luke Cage? Uh, I thought this was a fun one to put in. As is, there, there is an ongoing discussion over on our Facebook group at the moment at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast. Just on this point, because Luke Cage is obviously on this weekend, just wondering if uh, if we could have something in the MCU or in the expanded Marvel universe that could cut Luke Cage's unbreakable skin. Well, I think I mentioned uh, on the Facebook page, the scientist in me wants to test this hypothesis. So, I mean, unfortunately for Luke Cage... Um, if it worked and they did actually cut him, he could die from uh, this experimentation. True. Uh, unlike when he was in Seagate Prison. I think what we're kind of, from the discussions, it's that depending on maybe um, the comic series involved, that he can be cut mm-hmm. or that he can't be cut. Um, or that his his power and his strength ultimately neutralizes any threat that um, there is of him of him getting cut like he you know he's strong enough and still unbreakable still skinned enough that okay you know it gives him the fighting chance to deal with the 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 adamantium and the vibranium claws that yeah. these two might have but, I really uh, love these really nerdy interesting. Qu- I really yeah. love these nerdy questions especially because Everybody in our group, there's quite a few of them that are big comic book fans, and nobody actually has the answer to this. So it doesn't seem like there is a Luke Cage versus Wolverine comic book, for yeah. example. There doesn't seem to be a Luke Cage versus Black Panther comic book, yeah. um, or Wait. The movies coming up. Um, so no. it, it's interesting. I wonder. I, I wonder. One good thing to just remember is that Logan's not in the MCU, exactly. so it's pretty much just Black Panther at this point we have to worry about. It. It's yes. fine. It's fine. Yes, and that's Phew. only if Luke Cage crosses over into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, so, yeah, yeah, and I mean, that that whole thing um, about, depending on the writer, comes from Kale Hensley as well, mm-hmm. who I think has done some research on this, so... Thank you, Kale, for that insight. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, I think someone uh, had also mentioned, and I think it might be Kale, that in one of the um, series, Wolverine has to, has been asked to open up Luke Cage so that they can do some kind of surgery or rescue him. So, um, I think uh, Kale had found out that kind of story that had happened. So, yeah, it, it kind of depends on the situation, I right. suppose. But right. luckily, they're generally on the same page. It's not like they're they're foes. So mm-hmm. now I know that uh, with Wolverine um, as one of the defenders previously, it was I think it's at the same time as Luke Cage being the head of the defenders. So um, you know their paths do cross. They do, they do absolutely, and obviously he is a member of the Avengers as well. So he does, he has had connections with most of these characters. It just doesn't seem to come up very often, does no, it? No, but I, I, I now that scene's been said to me, I'm starting to remember it. Right. I think it's either it's not the Secret Avengers. It might be. It might I think be it's when I think it's in Secret Avengers right. as during after one of the battles, maybe. Right. I'm not sure that or it's the New Avengers. Second arc, because Wolverine was in the initial arc. Right. He would have been the second arc of this new Avengers. Interesting. But yeah. I did, but I did want to throw up the question here on the podcast so that, you know, maybe some other people want to weigh in on the, on the, uh, discussion. We always love the who would win kind of, kind of discussions. But that's all the feedback we have from over on our Facebook group. Uh, thanks so much for joining us for the episode and thanks so much for sending in your feedback. Uh, if you want to send in any emails to us about your thoughts as, as you watch through the episodes, just email us at feedback 
at DefendersTVPodcast.com, or you can join us on the Facebook group. Or if you want to record your thoughts, you can always record them over at our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Just click the Send Voicemail button, and you can record 90 seconds of your thoughts, which we'll discuss on one of our future episodes. Absolutely. And please um, go to uh, DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes, subscribe, leave a review. Also, on any other good podcast catcher for Android, just search Defenders TV Podcast and subscribe to the podcast there. Um, I think with that, we will be back Tuesday the 11th of October with Step Into the Arena, Episode 4 of Luke Cage, uh, where we will discuss our five points of that episode uh, on Defenders TV Podcast. Remember, forward always. Uh, We'll be here next time. Thank you for listening. Always forward. Thanks for listening. Cheers, guys. Yeah, thank you so much for listening. Bye.